0: Section eighteen of Paved with Gold. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Judy Mason Paved with Gold by Augustus Mayhew. Chapter eight of Book the Second Childhood in the Streets on the heath it was a hot day with so fierce a sun that every cab and cart that passed along the road by the heath drove through the pond on the top to freshen the horses the gnats were flying about the donkey's ears and they poor brutes were most of them lying down on the sandy ground sleeping till their time of torment arrived but though it was three o'clock and brougham's had already driven up to jack straw's castle and dinners had been ordered yet no donkey riders appeared all the proprietors were in a dreadful state of excitement at the prospect of so bad a day's work and the men in flannel jackets with their whips and sticks under their arms were spread out along the road watching like skirmishers for any one advancing i never saw anything like it cried mr sparkler unloosing in despair the girths of some of his stud fine weather seems thrown away on some people they deserves to be drowned in rain bad doings bad work answered mrs Sutty, a proprietress of six animals we shan't get a little loaf to-day much less a big one and addressing her assistant she added you'll have to go without your meat to-day bill another of the owners remarked mournfully sorry i ain't seen my mare gallop to-day tobias i've only had two out this morning said mr sparkler old milkmaid and maria punch is gone over to highgate but that won't pay rent whilst they were lamenting their want of customers a governess with two young ladies by her side threw the whole of the flannel-jacketed crew into confusion by making signals expressive of a desire to take asinine exercise it instantly became a tussle as to who should have the job or to use the words of the boys themselves it was a regular scrummage for the gals before the imprudent fair ones had advanced ten paces on to the sward they beheld some twenty men and some fifty donkeys rushing at full speed towards them hi 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 Roared the drivers urging on the galloping squadron before them here you are mum here's lady snuffers the best as ever wore a bridle cried one little everlasting tea-kettle miss the pride of hampstead shouted another Gentlemen, jerry lady's a real blood monkey roared a third dreadfully frightened by the terrible position they were in feeling themselves gradually suffocated by the long-eared herd with a black-nosed donkey pushing its nose into the ribs on one side and another animal with a cold in his head rubbing against the mantilla on the other the three forlorn damsels allowed themselves to be lifted off the ground by the first that dared to lay hands on them and before they had even time to scream they were seated in their saddles and being led away then abuse from the disappointed fell in a volley on their devoted bonnets you ought to be ashamed of yourself you wicked old woman howled one at a governess making fools of hard-working people you deserve to be chucked off you young cat snarled another at one of the young ladies if i was a gal i'd give you something should do you more good than riding growled a third and away the poor things were carried the imaginary pleasure of the ride entirely dispelled by the idea that they had unconsciously done some dreadful act of injustice to the hampstead donkey-keepers that's a queer way of doing business said phil to snorting sam wait until Whit monday you'll see worse rigs than them answered master curt one night as mr sparkler was enjoying his pipe in his summer-house and smoking the spiders into a restless condition his wife called out to him i forgot to tell you tobias there's a job for to-morrow night same party as had the picnic by moonlight last year called to-day about hiring some donkeys for another jollification do you mean that lot of servants has stopped out all night on the heath oh they're going on the loose again are they and after laughing he added and when does the spree come off to-morrow and they wants the loan of a kettle and three nice donkeys for the gals to ride when so inclined. It was Mister Boxer, the footman from Tomsey, that came about it, and he says there'll be a good dozen of em. To think of that now! Exclaimed Mister S. It appears their families is out of town, continued the woman, so they can manage it without being the slightest uncommodated. Teddy Cutler, Captain Crozier's groom, is to be one of the party, and he's thought a deal of. They've got fiddles and all a-coming on the following evening, just as the shades of night were stealing over the heath, a cab drew up in the road near the pond, and a stout male form, fashionably attired in pumps and berlin gloves, stepped from the interior and gazed anxiously down the road. On the roof of that cab there was a hamper, and on the box beside the driver there were paper parcels with grease showing through after the gentleman had peered about in every direction he returned to the vehicle and addressing a lady inside said nothing visible of them yet warty but where's the hurry i know that mary hann of ours would be late answered the so-called warty she's always such a time cleaning herself and figging up with her geegaws and fellals the gentleman seemed inclined to bear the delay with patience he strutted up and down cleaning his nails and humming airs known only to himself and whenever the voice in the cab inquired do you see them yet boxer he answered in the most cheerful of voices not yet warty at length a group of ladies and gentlemen were seen creeping up the hill and instantly mr boxer became excited and commenced waving his pocket-handkerchief with the utmost gallantry some of the young damsels seeing the signal ran laughing towards the cab the full skirts of their light dresses swinging in the wind as they scampered along what an uncommon fine-grown gal that susanna is observed mr boxer she's a remarkable showy dresser to be sure then she's been at mrs Drawer's again snarled mrs warty when the cab was surrounded the introductions reproaches and excuses began here we are warty dear cried mary ann this is fanny from number twelve and here's susanna and caroline from number sixteen what on earth kept you so long mary ann answered the surly mrs warty if you'd been dressing for a evening party you couldn't have been more time it was that horrid shoemaker never sent susanna's high heeled home and she is such a fiddled playfully observed the fair accused oh how can you mary cried susanna it was all along of her doing out her ringlets and then cleaning her white kid gloves with indie rubber have you brought the shrimps asked mrs worley in a half whisper and the cowcumber there's a good girl where've you put em oh in your pocket mind you don't get sittin on em there's a dear for they're not worth a thanky if they're scrunched every one in the party was dressed with such scrupulous cleanliness that the stiffness of the linen seemed to impart a corresponding rigidity to the behaviour the coachman from number twenty seven with his face firmly fixed in his unbending shirt-collar seemed to have lost the use of his neck indeed mrs wortee observing that when he wished to turn his head round his body moved also inquired of Marianne if the man had a carbuncle on his nape or what you might have mistaken the gentleman for noblemen's sons for their boots creaked when they walked and their hats were shiny in the bow of their satin ties some had stuck double breastpins whilst a big brooch ornamented the centre plate of mr boxer's shirt-front whenever they stood still it was with an imposing attitude the hand either resting on the hip or being thrust into the coat-tail the ladies in their light starched dresses and black silk mantillas looked divinely aerial those who had on shoes and open-worked stockings coquettishly raised their skirts to allow their feet to be seen with the hair done in ringlets with the parasol firmly grasped in one white-gloved hand whilst the other held the pocket-handkerchief ready to relieve the warm countenance those who beheld these damsels must have imagined them to be so many duchesses of the land. When Mr. Sparkler first saw the company, he mistook them for a wedding party that had dressed overnight so as not to be late in the morning. Even the cabman was dazzled by the gorgeous display of raiment, and though Mr. Boxer paid less than his fare, yet the imperious manner in which that gentleman answered his grumblings by saying, i live in arley street number twenty three and if you don't like it summons me completely awed the vulgar fellow into respect the place fixed upon for holding the picnic was at the lower extremity of the heath and the gentlemen carrying the hampers they all adjourned there now came the delights of the evening shawls were spread over the furze bushes so as to form tents and some dry wood having been collected a fire was lighted to boil the kettle and supply hot water for tea and grog the unpacking of the hampers was witnessed by all with great interest nothing had been broken but a bottle of gin which had given rather an intoxicating flavour to the veal and ham pie now who on earth brought this here bit of cold lamb asked mrs wortee in disgust as she drew forth the remainder of a shoulder hush whispered marianne it was caroline and she says she's very sorry but it was the only thing in their larder so she made up with a pot of pickles some lump sugar and half a bottle of ginger wine and don't number sixteen keep their butcher couldn't she order something i should like to know murmured the cook i've no patience with such timidity if we could run the risk for a veal and ampie what was to prevent her mr sparkler and the donkeys on one of which phil was mounted were received with a cheer of delight from the entire party and flattered by their reception they in turn rendered every possible assistance in spreading the cloth and arranging the glasses the moment Phil saw Mrs. Warty and Marianne, he recognized them. Why, there's the cook from where Bertha lives, he thought to himself, and blessed if that ain't the girl and the man, too. But as they did not remember his face, he was but too glad to escape detection. Whilst they were eating, no behavior could, for elegance or gentility, have surpassed that which dignified the actions and conversation of these picnickers allow me the honour of a glass of ale with you mrs wortee ma'am asked teddy cutler please pass the stone jug mr boxer your good health, ma'am and prosperity equal to my best wishes ma'am try another bit of this custard pudding my dear said mr boxer looking skittishly towards miss caroline it won't hurt you my gal and the dancing will shake it down What? haven't got room for it well i'm glad you've eat hearty healths were even proposed mr boxer speaking in the highest terms of mrs wortey and saying it was an honour to live in the same establishment with her for her behaviour was he might and would say at once conciliating virtuous and complaisant but the health which miss marianne undertook to give met with the greatest success it would seem that bertha hazlewood was not a favourite with miss Tomsey's domestics for when marianne after sarcastically stating that she was about to speak of one whom they all adored added need i mention that my allusion is to miss bertha her speech was received with shouts of laughter in the midst of which mrs worte was heard distinctly to say drat the stuck-up minx i'd berthe her out of the house if i had my way philip was so startled at this singular incident that by mere accident he let fall a glass of ale right over miss mary's bonnet an act for which he was pursued some considerable distance by the enraged teddy cutler and narrowly escaped a severe drubbing nothing could persuade mr boxer to join in the dances that subsequently took place he had eaten so much dear man that he preferred lying down with his head resting on mrs wortey's lap and in this position he quietly smoked his pickwick whilst she kind soul plied him with hot gin and water lifting the liquid by spoonfuls to his sipping lips the moon was up and shining brightly and from under their shawl covered resting-place they could hear the music of the vigorous violins and see their companions stepping it like fashionable fairies on the green sward that caroline's a sweet dancer murmured boxer and for a hupper housemaid her foot and ankle are above her station i've seen many a worse stepping into a carriage it ought to be a nice one answered the spiteful warty for there's enough of it but if you call that a leg, I don't. Posts is their right name. Opinions differ, Boxer, and I know what a leg is as well as any woman who has one. That there Fanny from number 12, continued the gay unabashed Boxer, is a well-formed gal, but I'm afraid she pulls her figure in a bit and her hands is uncommon hot and rough lord do ha done boxer again remonstrated mrs wortey hitting him on the nose with the spoon if you was the grand sea-rag of turkey himself you couldn't be more after the girls but boxer heeded her not what a luptious eye that gal susanna have he muttered in an exhausted tone but her nose for a woman's is perpoisterous and at meals she's a gluttonous feeder the indignant mrs wortee made no reply to this but suddenly rose from her seat and allowed the head of boxer to fall with a dull sound on the ground it took him a quarter of an hour before he could pacify the outraged lady and coax her to rest him once more in her lap and ladle gin and water into his mouth as it grew late after many dances, when the fiddlers were tired and the donkeys had been galloped to death, the whole party assembled in a circle to partake of further refreshment. And Bertha, being the person they most disliked, they once more commenced to talk of her. What Miss Tomsey can see in her? cried Marianne. A supercilious, high-flown squit, with her please do this and be so kind, do that. Oh, it's most comical! and after all who is she added mrs wortee is her pretensions beyond her humble sphere? has she any fortune i never in my life see such a small box as she brought has she any birth i myself hear her call a common beggar boy her brother i'm sure she has no beauty added marianne with a sneer if you was to take away her hair and mouth she'd be a nice object poor thing "'But there's some persons, perhaps, think she's a perfect winner's de medicine slyly remarked Mr. Cutler. "'La-ha!' cried all the young ladies. "'You do not mean to say that you—' "'Thin gals is not my choice,' answered Mr. Cutler, looking fondly at the plump Marianne by his side. "'If I liked, I could tell something that would make you all laugh fit to burst your laces.' oh do now won't you shouted the ladies in chorus and some of the party thought they heard the donkey-boy call out oh do like the rest of them but on looking round they found that phil was fast asleep well you're very hard on me but i must give way fascinatingly replied mr cutler one day captain merton crosier my young chap was standing at our window and talking to mr Tattenham and another gent the Hon. Chanticleer Sutton, by name, friends of ours, and they see your Bertha. They was down on her in a minute. You don't say so, cried the ladies. Ah, they was, though, the captain says. Tat, I must look after my neighbours a little. And, says Mr. Sutton, she's as nice a little toddles as I ever see. And what then, they asked, well i left the room then you see replied mr cutler but he's always at the window looking over your way and if you keep a spy on her there'll be some fun in such pleasant sport did the night pass and by the time the grey morn showed in the east everybody was thoroughly tired out the plump boxer fuddled with gin and water was carried on a donkey to the nearest cab-stand his head reclining on the shoulder of the compassionate worte who walked by his side whilst ever and anon he in gratitude tried to look up in her face as he murmured forth dear cookie susanna and the coachman from number twenty seven fanny and the young man at the baker's Mary marianne and teddy cutler all sauntered across the fields in the direction of town their personal appearance bearing strong testimony of their having been out all night the next day when the twelve o'clock postman called at miss Tomsey's with a letter he had to knock three times and eventually the parlour window was open and the epistle was taken in by a pair of tongs at the end of which was a plump arm with a red elbow a limb much resembling one to this day in the possession of mrs wortey End of section 18